Hey everyone, welcome to Fast Talk, your source for the science of endurance performance. I'm your host, Chris Case. If you consider yourself an athlete, and presumably you do since you're listening to this show, then your definition of what that means has likely evolved through the years. Think about your lifestyle, your mental health, your training routine, even your friends and community. To what extent are feelings of satisfaction and fulfillment connected to your definition? Think about the arc of your involvement in sports, the positive and negative aspects of what that has meant for you as a person, and the place athletics has and hopefully continues to hold in the greater context of your life. Are you aware of the fortune it brings? Do you take it for granted? Lachlan Morton, who now rides for the Education First Nepo World Tour team, has been fortunate throughout his career to have something most of us don't have, and that is immense talent. Yet, that talent hasn't always been enough to make him happy with his career. It hasn't always gone smoothly. It hasn't been always comfortable. Lachlan, who is, full disclosure, friend of mine, has gone through a very public and well-documented evolution as an athlete. He started long ago as a young kid with huge potential, then quickly became depressed and disillusioned at the pro level, ultimately turning into a bit of a rogue vagabond. Then he rode across the Australian outback and was able to rekindle the fire, so to speak, returning to the sport at an entirely different level, but one that afforded him the chance to do things he couldn't do before, and therefore express things he needed to express. His career has only gone on from there, really up from there. Now he balances world tour racing with other feats of endurance, like bikepacking races, uh, fastest known time attempts, and other alternative races. In essence, he has gone through significant and you might even say massive changes in the last 15 years since he started racing a bike. And while it may not be entirely explicit in this conversation, his evolution as an athlete holds valuable lessons because it contains a universal truth. Ultimately, being an athlete is about loving what you do and doing what you love. Hopefully, this episode will help you find even more love with the sport you enjoy. Let's make you fast. By now, you've heard that Fast Talk is much more than a podcast. At Fast Talk Laboratories, we have hundreds of new ideas waiting for you to explore in articles, videos, and interviews with top experts and Fast Talk podcast guests. We'd like you to join Fast Talk Laboratories free for two weeks. You'll get full access to everything. All our online articles, video workshops, webinars, guided workouts, and our forum. If our membership isn't for you, just cancel within 14 days and you won't be charged. To get your free two-week trial membership, visit fasttalklabs.com, choose library membership, and check out with the discount code PODCAST. Hurry, our offer ends March 31st. Well, welcome, Lachlan Morton, to the show, to Fast Talk. We've known each other for a long time. I'm surprised we haven't had you on the show before, but welcome to Fast Talk. Thanks for having me. You know, um, yeah, I have known you since you were, well, I didn't really know you, but we raced against one another when you were 14 and I was probably twice that age, but you came over here to the United States, real Aussie kids. Yeah. Um, your journey as a, as a cyclist had already begun. A long time before that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, and we've had a lot of conversations over the years about the, the, 
you know, from the outside, it seems like these, these very, there are these distinct chapters in your life, in your career. Probably to you, it doesn't feel necessarily like that, but that's kind of what I want to explore that we want to explore. Um, so one of the conversations we've had in the past that I want to revisit is this ob- kind of obsessiveness that you brought to your training when you were a kid. Yeah. I, re- I remember you telling me at one point that it got to the point where you would have a plan to ro- leave your house in Port Macquarie, Australia, where you grew up at five o'clock. Yeah. But if you missed that mark, you couldn't leave the house at 5.03. You had to wait till yeah, 5.15 or something like that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that gives that gives you a- I very maybe, rarely missed it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so let, let's just explore, you know, why, tell us about that obsessiveness. Why was that there as a kid? Uh, I, I couldn't, I, I mean, I couldn't tell you why. Um, it kind of developed out of like, I want to just be better. Um, so there's probably like a control element, I imagine. Um, like I'm not a psychologist, but I just sort of can tell you from <laughs> sure like you are. my perspective. Um, so like, I mean, I started like just racing on the weekends, um, at the local club and it was just like a fun thing I did after like playing soccer in the morning, you know? And then, um, when I was, I think 10, I saw the Tour de France, uh, like in, in, in person. real life. Yep. Um, and like I made the decision, like then I was like, that's what I'm going to do. Um, uh, cause I, like cycling was just a weird sport still in Australia. <laughs> sure. Like the idea of doing it professionally wasn't, it didn't seem like a real reality. Then you saw it and it was kind of this sport that was like a big deal. Um, I was like, that's what I'm going to do because I had like an ability mm-hmm. like that. I mean, it came to me more naturally than other sports like soccer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, this is not unlike a lot of uh, pro athletes that have this story of the moment when they maybe saw a race or saw yeah. a person that they idolize and were like, that's what I want to do. And I've heard that a lot from people. And most of the time I'm like, yeah, right. That's not true. But yeah, that no, you it's, really, it's very much like from that point, that's what I told people I was going to do as well. When uh, you were 10. Yeah. And so that's when I started training. So that like, for me involved, like waking up early and I wasn't all that. Like to start with, I couldn't ride more than ten k's from home, just because like yeah, as a ten year old, just like out yeah. to the you call it the outback. Well, I used to say <laughs> to, the dirt, to the dirt road and back. Okay, which like we we lived on like a weirdly this small island in a river, like a farming sort mm. of island, and you could ride. It was like a five k loop, so two and a half k's out, and then you got to the dirt road, and then you come back. And so I would do like four laps or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then immediately like at club racing, I was better, you know, like so I went from D grade to B grade and then it's like, okay, this sort of works. And then I did like my first races away um, and you could see other kids like kind of doing the same thing. Um, and it felt good to win, you know, and like be better than people. <laughs> Especially like when you're young, like yeah. it feels good to be better than people. Yeah. 
Do, um, do you think that um, I don't want to? I don't want to put words in your mouth or anything. But the, the would you have? Would you call it looking back now? Do you call it obsessive yeah. behavior? And, and yeah, yeah. Was it unhealthy to the unhealthy level? Probably, yeah. For that age, for sure. Uh, like, if I had that attitude now, and you're trying to win, like the Tour de France, probably help you. Yeah, right. And we've talked yeah. about how how <laughs> how be. things in the pro cycling world that are considered normal are wildly abnormal yeah. for the real, for the quote unquote real world, right? Totally, yeah. And like, I mean, it's it would come to the detriment of a lot of things, but it would help you in getting faster at riding. Mm -hmm. um, and that's all you cared about. Yeah. Then. So it was just kind of like a slow process, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Until when I was like 16. And like I was national champion in everything, and um, what do you mean by everything? I don't know that I know. Like the cyclocross, the time trial. The, <laughs> no, no, everything on the road. Okay, <laughs> um, and I used to race on the track as well. Hmm. Um, of course, but yeah, um, but yeah. I mean, that's when I was. I would. I would like do close to like thirty hour weeks. It's like when I was at school. Wow. Um, and when you're like, when you're 15 16 you were doing 30 yeah, hour weeks yeah yeah and like a full week at school do and you then travel on the weekends to race or whatever do you think you would have been able to become a pro if you hadn't done that is that what it took for you to for reach me that i level? think it did yeah. yeah um like i don't think i had like the raw talent that someone or that a lot of really good guys have that guys who come to it late or whatever. Um, I kind of like trained that talent into myself. Mm -hmm. um, Bludgeoned it into yeah. yourself. <laughs> and I think it served me well in that like at that time, if you weren't, and I wasn't like in the Australian national team like umbrella. Mm -hmm. So it was a hard jump to make. So you had to be like, you had to be really good to sort of get noticed. Um and yeah, I, I got really good when I was young and that helped me make that jump. Um, I think like I wouldn't, no, I wouldn't change it now if I was trying to like, uh, go back to like the 16 year old me who in, and with the idea of still like trying to win the Tour de France, like I would say, okay, cool. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, but like I wouldn't change it now. So, mm. um, but yeah, at the time it was just kind of what I was doing because my older brother was very similar, and I kind of he was two years older than me, still is. <laughs> um, <laughs> How about that? <laughs> but he was really good, and so I was trying to beat everything he did. So, so I would just kind of take whatever he was doing and just do it and double it, or yeah, <laughs> basically amp it up. Yeah, um, right. So, huh? Yeah, I think um, that's kind of how it morphed. So what was the motivator for you? What what drove you to be this obsessive, put in this much time? Was it that you just absolutely you saw the Tour de France, you fell in love and you wanted to get there? Or was it more this is just part of your personality and you needed something to... It was a bit of both. I think to start with, it was like that was what I wanted to do. And it was such a ridiculous thing to like tell your high school teacher that like you wanted to prove it. And then put, also put a I just little added pressure on yourself. There. Yeah. But I just enjoy the, I still do. Like I, I enjoy the discomfort and the, 
sort of like just constantly putting yourself under a bit of pressure. Um, so that was definitely in my personality. I think most, like my dad has that, my brother has that, like it's just something in our family as well. But um, yeah, it was definitely a combination of both. But like it wasn't like, like I enjoyed when the alarm went off at 4.30 and like, you know, getting out there on the bike like every, that's, a, that's every time. a strange kid that likes to get up at 4 30 yeah. in the morning super strange and I, I used to love getting to school at like you know nine o'clock felt like you'd already had a whole day right you know and like you've been out for three hours seen a bunch of stuff um kind of like ticked all your boxes mm. and then then go to school and like everyone else is just starting i right. kind of like that feeling yeah um so yeah i mean it was it definitely started as a competitive thing, uh, but then it was just something I enjoyed. When you, if you look back on that time now, and maybe you don't, but if you do, do you draw any lessons from that time in life? Um, Both either positive or like positive things that you, you know, yeah, I think, draw from? Um. There's a lot of positives in that I think like I created like a, a work ethic, so I don't mind um, working hard. Mm-hmm. But you saw the results of working hard. That yeah, probably helped, right? Yeah, and I think I also just kind of normalized this um, really high level of of work. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. like um, if I'm not doing a lot, I feel lazy, um, which serves you well in a lot of things some not all the time but like sure um, that's a positive that came from it um but i mean at the same time that i wish i'd um like maybe branched out a bit like especially in in riding i was so focused on just riding my road bike like i wish i started mount- riding a mountain bike back then or like you know spent more time on my dirt bike or just like doing Mm-hmm. different things or like i grew up on the beach and never learned to surf because like i was always shame, riding, shame, shame. you know like yep. things like yep. that i'm yep. like i uh, probably I, I wish i'd done that so too narrowly focused totally but, but and i also so- like i realized now that like everything i thought anything i was doing that wasn't riding in my opinion was like slowing me down mm. yeah um, that like, that goes hand in hand, I think, with an obsessive qu- quality, yeah. especially as a junior, like just disregarding all that other cool stuff you could be doing yeah. that your friends might be doing and just being like, bam, if yeah. I'm not riding my bike, I'm getting slower. Totally. So, right? Um, but then again, like maybe if I hadn't done that, like things would have turned out differently. So I'm not like um, – yeah. You don't have regrets? Don't have regrets. No. That was going to be my question for you. If you went back and made these changes, do you think you would have been a better cyclist for it? Or um, I did think, you need that obsession back then? I think knowing what I know now, if I could apply it, like, yes. But um, yeah. I, don't, I wouldn't have, and none of us did. So, like, I think um, to, like, achieve what I did at that young age, to get noticed, to be able to race now in the world tour like maybe i don't think it would have happened if i wasn't as um that's just me personally because i was so like all or nothing you know um so i think i needed that like as i said like that serves you well um a lot of the time to performing um because that kind of like 
your whole lifestyle becomes very structured and rigid, which like I think to be like an absolute top level performer in most professional sports, you kind of need that. Um, but I think that's also why you see a lot of like dysfunction and people yeah. who are high performers. The, um, there, there's a difference between high performance and high health. Yeah, a lot absolutely. Of yeah, yeah. Um, and just like, I know I wouldn't, I wouldn't have space for a lot of the things I have space for in my life now if I, I still had that trait as strong. I still have like a bit of that trait, but I, like, it's not nearly <laughs> strong as <laughs> You, you probably need to have that trait, but you also have a bit of wisdom and, and other priorities, right? Have, yeah. Have come e- along. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's like. It, it just becomes a balance, right? Yeah. Um, and there's just more, there's more people for me to consider in mm-hmm. my life now as well, which yeah. is a big, big part of it. But also just like, um, I think like coming back to longevity, you know, um, like I don't think I would have lasted nearly as long. Um, I, I don't think I would enjoy cycling as much as I do now. Had I followed that route, so yeah, if you maintain that level, yeah, yeah. Well, let let's jump ahead to this other one of the other um, times in your life that I wanted to address, which was basically you jump from high school into graduate school. You go straight into the world tour Mm -hmm. and get thrown into the deep end, or so it seems. Yeah, Uh, go over to Europe, not having a lot of fun. I would probably even say that you were depressed and struggling over there by yourself yeah would you mind just describing that a little bit more why why that felt that way yeah um that was a hard one it was like i think the the biggest thing was like i kind of achieved that goal that the 10 year old me had um and how old were you when you first made it over to europe i think i was 20 um, pretty young yeah like very young um and also so like i'd achieved this goal so there's already like okay a little bit of like what now um especially when i got there and i was kind of like it's not really it <laughs> you know like you're like i've been chasing this and you sort of get there and you're like uh the dream isn't so much of a dream anymore yeah like the shine comes off you know like the buses are nicer from the outside (laughs) (laughs) you know um right and like a bag full of like nice kit and like you know a a supposedly great coach like that doesn't really fulfill you as much as you think it's going to Mm -hmm. um so then the focus becomes like all right well i need to start winning because like that's how i know to make that you know happiness like tick mm-hmm. <laughs> um and i like tried to take it on myself because that was also my personality then um so i just kind of isolated myself and like i would go for months without speaking to mum and dad and like my brother and that because i was just kind of focused on this goal um and then for the first in the first year, the first half of the year, nothing was working. And and that's normal for any like professional who starts. Neo-pro, yeah. Yeah, but I didn't like 
that wasn't really explained to me. Uh, <laughs> so you, you, you didn't have a this, support. You didn't have a support system. No, what it comes down to. Yeah, right? yeah. And so like, um, yeah, like it became this. It seemed impossible, you know. And I was like, well, the only way I'll be happy here is if I'm winning, and like this level is too high. And then I wanted to stop. And then, um, right when I wanted to stop, I just like fell into good form and like won in Utah and wore the yellow jersey in Colorado. And I was like, oh, that takes care of that. <laughs> you know, like, oh, I'm happy again. <laughs> but, but that but that was one thing that you mentioned to me in, the, I think it was 2013. Yeah. You stood on the podium in Colorado. Yeah. But then you went back to the hotel and you're in the shower and you're kind of like, this, this still sucks. Yeah. Yeah. There's like an emptiness. Um, it's like kind of a, it's that same thing. Cause you think winning's going to like, solve right. it. um, and then you sort of find yourself like in a surrounding where you're still like, Oh, these aren't really like my people. <laughs> um, then you're like, I don't really have like any good friends anymore or like my relationships aren't great. Um, because you've, so, you've had to sacrifice a lot to be at that level or you yeah, just felt you, out of your element. Well, you just both. kind of like. Like the people who were in professional cycling uh, at that time, like I didn't really resonate with. Um, and then also like you've chased this strange goal. It's a really long way from where you came from. Um, so you're sort of just like a bit lost. Mm. Um, and then I went from there and went straight back to Australia and then did the ride to Uluru with my brother. Right, thereabouts. Yeah, um, which was like a big relationship change with cycling. Um, and in one way, it uh, it like made me love cycling more, but it was in the total opposite direction that, that I was going. Former world tour racer turned gravel rider, Ted King also started out a cycling career in school. But his experience coming out of school is a little different. Let's hear what he has to say. My career has been an evolution as much as anything. And it's been a series of doors opening and deciding to take the step through them. I'll walk you through my career real quick. So I got into cycling because my older brother was, was a collegiate cyclist. And I got to college and I was thinking about what's, what thing I might do to occupy my time. And collegiate cycling entered my realm of consideration. So I got into collegiate cycling and then I ran with that and that allowed me to race on the U S national team. And that allowed me to race on a, I remember senior year of, of college, my classmates and friends were applying to jobs on wall street and, and in finance. And I was applying to race on domestic pro teams. And so I, I ran with that and I did that for a couple of years. And then the opportunity, the door opened up to go race in Europe and race with the Cervelo test team. And it was unexpected at the time. And I took it and I went for it. And, and racing for liquid gas, I mean, that is, there's no better word than foreign, but the opportunity was there and I took it and it was a challenge and, and one that, especially in hindsight, I can appreciate and love doing, but uh, big challenge at the time. And then it came time to, you know, race for under the, the water slipstream operation for my final year. And I, I jumped at that and that was a blast. And then come 20 the end of 2015 that was my final year racing the world tour 2016 
I had no idea what I was going to do. I half assumed that I was going to go back to the world of, of finance and use my degree in economics. And the opportunity presented itself to be at that point, like 2016, we weren't using the term ambassador. There was no such thing as a gravel racer. So it, it was, it was looking at what, what somebody like Tim Johnson was doing and Jeremy Powers with his independent cyclocross program and doing a privateer wasn't the term at the time, but it is this privateer independent program. Um, and at that point, competition really wasn't part of the part of the conversation, but that has been an evolution over these past five years too. So it's looking at the viability of it. It's making, I, I've never sat down and made a pro con list, but you know, it's internalizing and, and saying like, what are the possibilities of this, this next pretty big decision? It's having conversations with conversations with friends and confidants and family and saying, is this viable? So yeah, it's, I've had a, a wild ride in cycling and, and here we are now more than 20 years in and I wouldn't, I really wouldn't change a thing. Um, I mean, maybe I'd be like, oh, you know what? I should have gone in that breakaway instead of sitting in when I could have followed that guy's wheel. But it's been a, it's been a pretty awesome ride. There are far more fun moments now than there were in, in a world to a race career. That is a job and there are moments of fun, but they're fewer and further between. Um, it's a job and it's work. And those are your, those are your colleagues and, you know, no different than when you're at the, the office, you have your friends and the folks you get along with and you don't get along with. And it's a job. Whereas now I like, I, my job is to ride my bike and to get people excited about riding bikes and to talk about really cool products that I get to, that I'm excited to be working with the motivation now. Like I, I don't, I don't need the motivation now. I, my motivation is because getting up every day is just fun in a, in a competitive period of my life. And I'm not trying to poo poo the, the competitive side of it because bike racing was fun. And then you're thinking of the alternative, like, you know what? Yeah. Maybe I'm going to hang it up and go do something else. That's not really a decision because you're so far into the sport. You're so involved and, and certainly you haven't made it to whatever professional level without a huge aspect of devotion and fondness for the sport the good moments outshine the bad as much as anything so you can get through a lot of tough really low moments knowing that there is something a little bit shinier on the other side so for people that don't know the story of thereabouts you yeah. basically quit professional cycling and said yeah i'm done uh hatch this plan with Gus, your brother, yeah. to ride from your house, was yeah. it your parents' place or, yeah, or where you grew up, place Port Macquarie, yeah. to Uluru. Mm -hmm. Some people might know it as like, Ayers Rock yeah. in the middle of the desert in Australia, which is a couple thousand kilometers. Yeah. Um, I should know the exact. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it a, long, it's a long way it and, it, weeks, and, yeah. and it's hot mm -hmm. and it's dirt yeah. and um, it's not, it's what it is, is not professional cycling in Europe is what it yeah. is. Yeah, right? and it was like at that point it was very different than anything I'd ever done riding because yeah. I'd only ever like trained or raced. You, you know? turned around when you got to that dirt road when you yeah, were a kid. Exactly. Now you're now you're heading straight yeah. for it because that's what you craved. Yeah, um, and so that was like a big shift, um, and I still had one year on my contract with Garmin. Garmin, yeah. And I went back to Europe 
and just hated it then then i really just hated the racing and couldn't bring myself to like go training or do anything um this is when you went rogue and started mountain biking in andorra if i'm yeah not mistaken. exactly <laughs> and like bought a bunch of camping stuff i had this trailer and i would just like go to the pyrenees and like, go camping and then yeah. i actually snuck home you basically gave season. birth to bike packing <laughs> oh it was alive and well before then but i think i did i know i know i, I brought it into the road sphere, <laughs> road um, sphere. but yeah then yeah i even snuck home I, like at one point like i'd started seeing uh my now wife rachel and she was at university in sydney and it was like May or April. It was just before a tour of Romandy, I remember. I like just was sitting in Girona and I was just like, this isn't it. And then I just like, at the cafe, I was sitting at, I just booked a flight for like that night. And I just left and went back to Australia for a week. Mm. And then flew back and got back the night before <laughs> Romandy Roman started. Roman and I, I, turned up, I, mean, I was rooming with Rowan Dennis. Uh-huh. And I remember I, I just felt I had to tell someone. Because like, everyone's like getting ready. And I was like, man, I have not ridden. I'm like, I got back from Australia last night. Like, <laughs> you couldn't believe it. I'm uh, sure you had a good laugh over that. I was on my that. hands and knees in that race. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that was kind of like how that year was. And... It was very clear to me, like, pretty early on in that season that I was going to can World Tour racing. Mm. Um, just because, like, I just hated it. I was, I was like, if this is how I have to feel to to race here, um, like, I don't want that. I'd rather not ride ever again than, like, just continue mm. to live like yeah. this. What was it? That about cycling, you might not be able to, to explain this, but what was it that made you just say, I hate this, I don't want to be part of this? Um, I think it was sort of like, I mean, there was so much of my um, like self-worth was attached to how I performed riding, like a number or a result, or like, um, and so much of how the people I was surrounded by also valued me was dependent on like a result or like a number i could produce or so every day like you'd go training and you didn't feel human it sounds like <laughs> you yeah. were a number or a statistic or a sure. something else and also like you you kind of um inherit that like Mind. idea that you need to mm -hmm. not unhealthy training out of the park every time or like every time you race you need to do x result otherwise like i'm a piece of shit <laughs> You right. know? And like yep. the fact you can have a bad ride, a bad training session, and then have it just ruin your whole day. Um, and it was a snowballing of, of that that I. And the the more I hated it, the harder you have to love it if you if you want to perform well or if you're going to perform well. So it just kind of is a spiral. Um, so, it, yeah, it got to the point I, I just didn't even want to watch racing. Just didn't want anything to do with it. Um, this, and also this, the environment I was in, Girona is like professional cycling. Um, so like you're in this like kind of pressure cooker of it, um, where you can't really get out of it. Um, so yeah, it was yeah not a good spot. 
Yeah, I mean, this reminds me of something we've spoken about too, which is this notion that, um, and I think it speaks to this point, the kind of the day you sign the contract to become a professional cyclist, you are then, your body is essentially your job. And, and totally. that is a, a level of commitment, pressure, whatever word you want to put on it, that changes the dynamic completely. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, it's a 24 hour job, right? Because like, you're not just getting paid to ride, you're getting paid to sleep eight hours a night. Like, <laughs> yeah, you can break it down. Well. You're 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 getting paid to eat totally. this instead of that, and yeah, not go out with your friends and stay in and and exactly. kick your feet up. You and know. and it's an age where like that all that stuff is um so quantifiable now. You know that like your job is twenty four seven. Um, so yeah, like you and also like. You kind of you're doing it for someone, or a lot of the time you feel like you're doing it for someone else. At that point, I did mm-hmm. um, because like someone's paying you, and they're expecting something, and you feel like you owe it to them. Or at that point, I did. Um, so that's when you don't have internal motivation. You know, it's only external, and for me, that does just doesn't work. Um, so I had to like remove myself from that environment like completely to like work out. All right, is this something I even want to do? Like, I, like I was so far gone from my initial motivations that I was like, do I even want to do this at all? And then, if I do, like, why? You know, and that has to be on my terms and for for my reasons. Um, and I was very, I was very lucky that I had like the situation that I could sort of do that, because um, I, I left racing in Europe to come and race in America, and my parents had moved to the states for their job at that time, so I could go back and live with them, mm-hmm. um, which was amazing because I, <laughs> I hadn't lived at home since I was like eighteen, and just to be in that environment for one was like oh. You know, like, I missed, like, being around my family. Um, and I could do, I could sort of find my own way um, without the pressure of being like, all right, I need to move on to the next thing, um, which I was very lucky to have that situation. And I ended up riding with Jelly Belly with um, Danny Van Hout, which was, like, the best best career move I ever made. I remember leaving when I was leaving um, uh, Girona. I was good friends with Dave Miller at that time, and I still am. He's still a good mate, um, and he was really, he really wanted me to try and get on to Sky. Mm. He's like, "That's what you need." Like, you <laughs> I need don't think. More I don't think so. <laughs> and I was like, "I don't think it's what I need." But at that time, I was like, "I don't know what I need," um, and I was like, "I think I'm going to go and race with Jelly Belly." Remember, he was like, "I think if you do that, you'll never, you never get back." Um, and I believed him, and was still like, "I got to do it." Um, and I think that I sorry to cut you off, but I think that's an awesome lesson. Totally. Is that it, eventually, you just went with your heart or your gut or whatever you want to yeah. call it, and you said, 
I don't, I, you have to, you just kind of have to make the leap, right? Sometimes. And yeah. And looking back at it, it seems like it's a big, it was a big decision. But to be honest, at the time, I was so unhappy that like there wasn't, it wasn't even a decision, you know, it was just like, this is what I got to do. What year was that? 2014. Yeah. Then I had 2015 with Danny at Jelly Belly and I raced with my brother again. Yeah. I was living back with my parents. Um, I got married. I got a dog and like <laughs> I kind of just, it took, it was just a process of like falling in love with racing again. Um, you and, could see it too in the way you raced. I mean, you, yeah, the stuff you did at Utah and the, just the, I yeah, know, I was the, just having fun again. Yeah. And because like, um, everyone was motivated for the love of it at that level because like everyone's barely getting paid and you're, sleeping on the floor and host housing and like it's great <laughs> you know like that's like it's real there's real I, passion there and i hadn't had that since i was like you know 15 real Aussie kids yeah exactly yeah. um and it, it just kind of it was inspiring to see other people who like were so hungry for it um but from like a place of just loving it mm -hmm. and that was like inspiring and sort of made me think of like what am i trying to achieve here and then over the course of that year i just reassessed the whole um my position in the sport and like tried to work out if i was gonna chase it again like how i would go about it in that a i would be happy um but b i could sort of maintain that new sort of environment that i created um and it took like a whole year to really work that out and then the next year i was like all right i'd like to try and go back to the world tour um on my own terms because i knew if i if i never chased it i was like there'll be a part of me that sort of regrets not mm -hmm. going and, and like chasing that even if i just go for a year yeah um I I really like to hear you explain this. I was on one of the big world tour teams and I hated it. And I went, slept on some floors with Jelly Belly <laughs> and a bunch of other dudes who just love to race their bike. And yeah. that was one of the best decisions I ever made in my career. I think that's awesome that yeah. more people probably should do that. <laughs> totally. <laughs> make those, make those uh, well, choices. It, yeah. And, and, I think ultimately it just gave me ownership over my whole career, I guess, but also just my relationship with riding um, because I started to enjoy the stuff outside of racing more. Um, but I realized the racing could enable me to have that lifestyle and um, just the realization, I'm like, that's like the dream lifestyle, you know? And like I, I had it in a lot of ways, but just, didn't realize it mm -hmm. um and it was all just a mindset and um yeah it went from being a chore to like a privilege you know to do it so um that's i think ultimately what sort of gave me the the mental or the motivation to go back to the into the fire i guess you know like in a lot of ways to like, mention data years. yeah yeah um and but I, I mean, from I've never, I've never 
come like i've had moments being in in walter races again of just sort of questioning you're like why and then but i, I have enough experience now to be like actually this is like four hours of your life <laughs> you <know? laughs> if, and i'm sure there's a lot of, yeah you you race like enough that <laughs> right, yeah, you know? you, some days you're just not gonna feel it yeah um but that's like any job right exactly um, exactly and it enables me to do a bunch of things um you know not i mean i i, I enjoy most 90 percent of racing i enjoy um and then you know everything i do outside of racing i really love <laughs> and like it's kind of i do one um to be able to do the other mm-hmm so the 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 year you were racing for Jelly Belly, I was actually managing Team Rio Grande, and we were oh, talking we're... to Jelly Belly about a, a partnership. But I know exactly what you're talking about because that was important to us that engendering that, building that passion that this is about the racing. We actually had a really good budget, but quite intentionally bought a crappy van. Yeah, quite yeah. intentionally made sure we were doing the host housing. We, we could afford to do better. <laughs> but we just wanted to communicate, guys, that's that's not what it's about. Yeah. You want to be sleeping on the floors. You want to be in the van that breaks down on the side of the road. Totally. This is, this is all about the racing. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, um, it's a really great way to develop as an athlete and a, and a person, I think, to be in those situations, you know. Like a, a group of like-minded people um, just kind of, like, scrapping through it all, like, actually achieve something um or like on your way somewhere i think it's cool but even on, on jelly belly I mean, we, they used to let us borrow the um the big the jelly belly had like a big bus the that, rv that looked yeah, like yeah. A, oh looked like a, like like a jelly bean one. well no it looked like like a world tour bus you know yeah like from oh the outside. sure sure and we used to get to borrow it for california except uh there was an old couple who I remember, that was their yes, job they drove yes. it everywhere and they were like they were old. <laughs> they were like, they were like, like mid eighties, um, and constantly arguing about like which way to go. I remember you telling me. But also, me we weren't like, allowed in the in the back, like two thirds of the bus. Like it, that was their space. That was their space. So there wasn't yeah. even, we had to set up like chairs in the aisle anyway. It was just such a like it was so much more uncomfortable than like you know the regular right setup. It like, looked just getting good. changed outside. It looked good it looked, outside. It looked the part, uh, but inside it was a different story. That's pretty funny. But I I saw exactly what you're talking about. And, and when we were trying to develop athletes, and particularly when, when riders would come on Rio and say, you know, I, I want to go all the way, I want to be pro, it, the, the questions weren't, do you have the strength? Are you putting out the numbers in, in the physiological test? Because usually it's, if you got here, you have some talent, you can yeah. be developed. It's, are you up for the lifestyle? Yeah. And I learned very early on is, is test that. Because a lot of guys, when they start to get into that lifestyle, go, I don't want to do this. Uh, yeah. I had an athlete who was on Rio, and we were developing him. Phenomenally talented kid. Um, was brand new. So it was U23, but he won the, the Cat 1-2 race at Gila. Yeah. And that was his last day as a racer because he, he said the same thing. He stood there on the podium. He had just won the race, looked around and said, this is it. Yeah, right. And was just done. Such an anticlimactic moment. Yeah, ways. yeah. It's funny. I I won the same stage in Utah once on 
Garmin, and then the exact same stage I went on. Yeah, the Mountain. one over Empire Pass, correct? And finish or no, or, uh, but, Neba. Oh, right. Yes, the, earlier the long, in the week, the long, yeah. long flat stuff, and then you hit Nebo and you went up and over. And yeah, you had Zabriskie working for you one year. Yeah, like, and the next and year it was Gus and Taylor Sheldon from Breckenridge. Yeah, and they just destroyed the bunch at the bottom. Yep. And then I went away with Talansky and uh, Adrian Costa. Yep, and I beat them in a in three up finish, and it was like it was so much. It meant so much more to do it with Jelly Belly and, like, with a group of people, you know, because there were so many people involved with it, whereas before it had just been me training, you know, like, doing my, like, uh, old me thing. Um, so there was, like, a really good contrast. Mm-hmm. And when I won that race, uh, the last stage in Park City, I knew that I was very aware of it. I was lucky because it was a, a descent. You descend like 10K to the finish. Yep. And I'd, I'd won it. Like, um, so I could sort of think about it. And I was very aware. I was like, this is probably going to be the best win I ever have for like all of those reasons. You know, like it was, it was coming back, but like the people who'd been involved in those last two years, it was kind of like this fruition of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I was like fine with that, <laughs> you know. I was like, it, it's fine. I got my family were there. Uh, everyone was at the finish line. Like, it's still like I still kind of know. I'm like, I don't think I'll. I could win a stage of the Giro, and I don't think it would compare to that. You know. Um, mm. Yep. And I don't know to know that and still be like, I still want to do this though. <laughs> like that was the, the difference. Yeah. I think. Veteran world-class ultra-endurance cyclist, adventurer, and recent self-supported Iditarod winner, Rebecca Rush, talked with us about the importance of keeping it in balance and keeping it fun. Let's hear what she has to say. In some ways, I haven't evolved because I remember being a kid growing up in Downers Grove, Illinois, and, you know, going into my backyard to, like, camp out and to like ask my mom, can I camp out in the backyard, you know, and and we go on camping trips and I love going exploring. And so that sort of curiosity and wanting to be outside that hasn't changed. And that's the part that I would encourage people, you know, don't evolve, you know, think about what, what was fun for you as a kid and why not carry that into your adult life. Um, so that hasn't evolved. What has evolved is my, my knowledge of obviously my knowledge of science and training and, and what I'm capable as an athlete and combined with listening to that inner voice of that kid. Who's like, I wonder, you know, what's over here. Could I try this or try that? So you evolve in your, in your brain, but hopefully you don't evolve in kind of your spirit and your heart and that motivation, that childlike motivation that was there from so long ago. Hopefully people never lose that even as they get smarter as athletes. You hinted just a second ago about the fact that you, you love 90% of the world tour racing you get to do. Mm -hmm. Everybody has their, their days when they're (laughs) just, uh, you know, chewing on the stem or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it affords you the opportunity to do all this other cool stuff that you have 
discovered, I guess, in, yeah. in recent years that you love to do. Let's jump over there. Um, when did you realize that you needed those two things to make this all work? But the other things being uh, Lachlan decides he wants to do a, a FKT on the Cocopelli Trail. Lachlan yeah, decides yeah. he wants to do Badlands ultra-distance bikepacking race in Spain. You know, some of these other things. DK200 you've you've done with, with Alex. Yeah. Um, just these the, – Rafa and EF call it the alternate calendar. Yeah. But I feel like it's kind of Lachlan's alternate <laughs> calendar in a way. Has has been up until this point. Open <laughs> <Other> and <than> Alex to <laughs> the world. Yeah. Um, no, it's it kind of. I think it came out of the the thereabouts rides I was doing, um, and for for a long time it was just two separate things. So I'd kind of race the season, and then in the off season go and do a trip somewhere, um, and. Sometimes that was by myself. Sometimes that was, you know, with Gus and we'd film it. Um, and, yeah, and sorry for, for those who don't know, the, the thereabouts, the original one was the one in Australia to Uluru. Yeah. Second one, you guys Second rode one from Boulder to Moab with, with Finney and some... And Camworth. Yep. Um, and then we went to Columbia. Columbia was three. Yeah. And, and then, then Eastern Europe was four. Yeah. <laughs> Don't forget that one. Yeah. <laughs> Macedonia <Albania>. and Albania <laughs> and all those Kosovo. places. Um, Kosovo. Yeah. So it it kind of um, I was doing that as kind of a bit of a an outlet, and it, it was it worked pretty well. Um, like I could race and then be like, all right, now I'm going to go check out and just do this thing. Yeah. Um, and then I was just also sort of finding myself riding more and more off-road um, and different bikes, mountain bike or like a cross bike and just um, like in in my training or just riding. Exploring um, a bit. Yeah. And that was sort of like a growing passion. Um, and I, I was kind of fine with doing them separately. And then the opportunity came to kind of like combine it and be um, sort of enabled, <laughs> I guess, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, right. and have have people sort of see the value in it. Um, and that was with, with Rafa and EF. So what, yeah, for me to jump in here for a second, what, what do you see as the value of that? Um, I think like cycling is a big sport. You know, like there's a lot under the umbrella of cycling um, and a very disproportionate amount of the attention is on like men's elite road cycling. Um, And I think for quite a long time, people saw that as like what cycling was Mm -hmm. and the rest were all kind of fringe activities. Um, When I think from my perspective... A lot of what you would call like fringe riding, like, you know, bikepacking or just being off-road in general, mountain biking, um, a lot of those activities are probably better recreational activities. Um, sure. And they're, they're activities that I think are, are more accessible, accessible or, yeah. and enjoyable to the majority of people who take part in cycling. Um, so I thought, like, my idea of the, va- the value of it is that it kind of, 
helps to shed a bit of that attention from men's cycling onto like these other disciplines that exist. Um, and through that, I've got like credit for a lot of things that aren't actually, you know, like people are like, oh, you're the first guy to race gravel bikes. You're like, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm just the first guy who came from road bikes to go race gravel bikes, you know, the like, world tour. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and so, not not down to gravel racing, over to gravel yeah, racing. Exactly. We don't want to say it's less Gross, yeah. lesser, right? It's totally. just a different thing. Just totally, just a totally different um, discipline. So, yeah, I, and and to have like a group of sponsors who um, could also share that vision and see the value in it. Um, I didn't think I would ever see that at, with a world tour team. Um, so that was like a opportunity that like way too good to be true um so yeah that's been the last two years for me and so i've just sort of taken it with both hands um and tried to do as much as i can do like on the road and and off the road Uh, how do you come up with the things that you want to do uh it's not it's not just me okay Uh, there's a strategy behind it and 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 i get to kind of throw in a few ideas that like i have um and those things generally just come from things that are motivating me um, because on like a very selfish level, there's a lot of things I just want to go and do. <laughs> you know, like, hey, you uh, said you grabbed it by both horns. Yeah, Let's exactly. make this happen, right? Um, and But I think in that, that's what makes it authentic. Um, you know, we're not just like a bunch of guys who are like, oh, let's go do this gravel race because like EF wants us to you know like that's not the it's not point. forced in any way yeah and if it became that i'd be like disappointed you know um so yeah it's kind of a mixture of like um things i've found and then like just events that have like become big deals you know um like like leadville and unbound and um like there's a there's a bunch of events that have grown to the point where like for sponsors they're a big deal Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. um so it's it's nice because they can see the value and return in like um us going to like a seemingly insignificant race in compared to you know a, a world tour event um but they can also see like oh wait this is this is emerging this is something different so it's kind of a mixture of like events that they've kind of identified um, that they'd like to be involved with as yeah. you know as sponsors um, and then also just sometimes I'm like yeah, I might go do this <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah it's a bit of a mixture so you said earlier on that part of what really demotivated you initially was when you signed a contract you felt like you were signing yourself over you lost control over yourself does this provide some motivation that you get to do these kind of fun things and, and invent them to a degree? And Totally. Um, it's like, one, you sort of have a bit of a bit more control over what you're doing, um, but it's also like they're really motivating things because they're, they're new and they're fresh and like a lot of them I'm just not good at, you know? Like, I mean, it's fun to, to not be expected to be amazing <laughs> you know and also like when you take some of the pressure off yeah and, and also to have like a um, to get better at something again you know because essentially you get to a level 
riding a road bike or in, in the world tour. And, you know, you, you start like, I mean, when you start and you're 12, you know, you improve 20% each year or whatever it is. It's kind of exponential and you get to the top and then it's like, all right, I'm improving 2%. Two percent, two percent, or if that, and then right? if you if you really want it, right? You know, if you're really like on that grind. Um, otherwise, you get to a point and you're trying to stay there. You know, you're trying to be as good as you were. You've hit the ceiling. Yeah, and so I don't know to get on a mountain bike, knowing you have to go do like Cape Epic in three weeks. <laughs> you know, and then be like, oh, I'm pretty useless at this, and then watch that, like, you know, have that progression. Um, it's very like. It's nice because it's kind of that's why you got into it, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And it, and it's fun to like the love put of yourself progress, into yeah. yeah. And and also I think like getting a bit uncomfortable, like like frequently is important. <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah. like no, yeah. I, I'm with you. Yep. Um, like I try and get my I try and do something a little bit uncomfortable like every week, like just something whether it's like something longer than you know i kind of feel like doing or something maybe um a bit more remote or like riding something on my mountain bike that scares me or like um it's nice to like have that kind of like just pushing yourself a little bit constantly stuff that doesn't show up in training peaks yeah exactly doesn't show up in training peaks but I can still go at my job. <laughs> and and it yeah, it's a, still a worthy a very worthy goal that motivates you. Yeah. Um and then also like I think now like I can contribute more to the sport by doing like these alternate races than I can by like trying to chase like top 20 at the Tour of Swiss, you know? Yeah. Um because not not to like take away from a top 20 the tourist quiz like anyone who could do that is an amazing athlete you know um and like is really good at what they do but just from from my perspective like what i'm trying to do i think like i can give more by just sort of doing i don't know things that aren't traditional they, they you can say it they're inspiring people sure if yeah they are absolutely <laughs> i mean Look at the people that come out, the dot watchers that come out and, and meet you in yeah. the middle of nowhere and during the GB Duro and play music for you or try to give you weird food items yeah. or ride with you. You're, people people love watching you do this stuff. And because they've seen you do it, they're going to do it. So, Well, it's also accessible. Right. Somebody can watch you do the Tour de Suisse and go, that's amazing, but I'll never be able to race the Tour never- de Suisse. They see you do an Everest challenge and they go, well, I can't do that fast, but I can, but I can go it. do the Everest challenge. Totally. I mean, you could do an ultra tomorrow if you wanted to. Like, you just got to leave your home <laughs> and decide you're going to go ride a really long way. Like, And don't worry about what bags you're going to get and totally, all that crap. Totally. That stuff, just, you just, just work that out as Yeah, you just work it out. <laughs> but, like, there, there were established routes out there, like, in, if you if you know... It's only like a Google search away. You can find a lot of these GPX files or whatever and go and get into it. Um, and yeah, also just like, I don't know, if if it gets more people riding bikes because they're kind of, because now I can see like road cycling is like 
it's intimidating from the outside. And there's a lot of barriers to entry. Um, and I never realized that when I was coming into it because I grew up in it, you know, mm-hmm. with like road cyclists. Um, so I don't know. I think the more you can, I think it'll be better for road cycling long term um, because it'll get more people into that. Um, but it just, it's a nicer community then, you know. Is there any prioritization? Uh, maybe this gets into politics of your team. If you don't want to talk about it, you don't have to. But is there any like World Tour, Lachlan, World Tour races do come first. And then you we're going to allow you to do this other stuff in your own time. But we don't really want you. We want you to prepare for the Giro and not for your Everesting challenge. No. Or is it not like that? No, no. It's like I've never had that feeling, which um, I kind of felt. The very first year, I felt like um, it was up to me to sort of prove that I could do both um, so that for the longevity of, like, the program in a mm-hmm, way, you mm-hmm, know, um, yeah. and was able to do that. Um, and since then, the, uh, I mean, or even before then, but I kind of proved to myself and to them that I could show up and, and do both. Um, and I don't know when I go to road races now, they're so, I feel fresh to it. So like, Mm. I'm always motivated. So in some ways this could be a benefit. Yeah. And I think they, they could see that. Um, but also I think like, I'm lucky in that, as I said, they've kind of seen the value in doing alternate races. Um, and to be honest, like it's probably better for them that I'm I'm going and doing well in these alternate races, um, as I said, because there's a lot of we we have a lot of guys on our team who can ride fast in a one tour race, <laughs> you know, like yeah, um, there's no one who has to pick up my slack, you know, like there's there's enough good guys in there um, to like fill that that void mm-hmm. if I'm you know have to go and do a, a ultra race instead of um, a world tour race so no, there's there's none of that uh, if anything it's kind of i have to put my hand up and be like hey i really want to go and do this mm. world tour race um like they've, forgot, like they've forgotten about you a little no, bit. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> we alone. could put lock but he's <laughs> yeah. probably out bikepacking right now so so the question i've got to ask you why 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 would you use the backside of wrist for an Everest challenge? <laughs> and, and I got to preface uh, that with that is possibly my least favorite climb in the world. Yeah, I, I think I think it goes hand in hand. Wrist wrist is uh, probably the base of what segment you climbed for your Everesting challenge was about seven. Seven thousand five hundred feet is the bottom of it. Yeah. Goes up to eight thousand. Yeah, um, I mean I think it, like any hill that you want to Everest on, it should be miserable. <laughs> <laughs> okay like that's kind of a requirement he if likes to get, to get uncomfortable fast. he's already said that multiple yeah. times and like it was kind of um we we're trying to stay very close to home and there's some steep hills around here but not many straight ones yeah that's and pretty so, straight and steep yeah and then it just sort of i was thinking one day and i remember that we raced up there in the tour of colorado a couple of times i remember it being steep Yes. And so I went out there and looked at it, and I was like, I think you could do it here. Here's a here's a, a way back memory. 
one of the one of those races that I mentioned at the top of the show yeah, that you we went, and I raced we at. We went down it. We went down that. Yeah. We, yep. There was a the, what was that the um, the Fort Collins festival stage, stage yeah. race or yeah. something yeah. like that. And I think all first, three of us were in that race. That's the first Pro One Two race I won. There you go. Was what there, was that? Look at that. There's sentimental value to Risk Canyon as well. Eight, I think. Okay, so that was because a little was, before I moved out. There was the road race. Yep. And then the next day, hill, was a climb, hill climb up the front, yeah. up the eastern side. Yeah, of the in the road race, I came over the top of that because you started straight up the climb, and there was there was a guy, a local guy, who was super strong, uh, Kev Nickel. Yeah. And yeah, um, Nichols. Blake Caldwell. Yep. yep. And they were like maybe ten seconds ahead of me over the top, and I came back on the downhill, and then beat him in the sprint. Scrawny guy, yeah, descending nice. out descending. It's <laughs> funny, yeah. But I, I'd actually forgotten that that was the same hill. Yep, that is the same. Well, hill it was down. it was somewhere in your head. No, that but you I've done it like, like I can't remember how many times I did it that week. Eighty times or something. Way too many. <laughs> Stupid amount challenge? of times. Yeah. The thing Dude. with ever like. It was a fun thing to do because there was nothing else to do. <laughs> um, but I would don't, like I often get asked now because like you know someone's beaten the record and they're like, "Are you going to go get it?" I'm like, "No, I don't need it. <laughs> I, like, I contributed my bit." <laughs> I still Not put it. It's like Jens Vogt uh, doing the hour record. He's yeah, he's exactly. done his bit. He's spurred yeah. a bunch of other people. Yeah, to well, do it's like, well, it's Wigo going to come back and like take Kapanar's record? <laughs> like, well, just leave it. Look, I also put an asterisk on your name because he only beat you by like a minute and a half, and you did the whole thing above 7,500 feet. Right, and and on back to back weekends. Yeah, and in my mountain bike shoes. Really, yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know that <laughs> didn't part. Know that, yeah, <laughs> um, but like, I mean, that's kind of. I think it's the idea of like chasing a record like that and trying to put it out like, of reach. Out of reach is like it's such a dick move. <laughs> you know, it's just like, what are you trying to like be the best forever? Like, <laughs> I I don't know if this is what motivates you or how you think about these things, but I think that you do know what makes a good story. Right. I mean, and I think if it's interesting to me, well, not always, <laughs> but majority of the time, I'm like, you know, if, if I think I'm like, oh, that could be interesting. Other people might be like, oh, yeah, that's maybe interesting. Um, and you've probably been encouraged over the years. You've tested the waters and you found out, eh, yeah, I'm not as, there are other weird people like me that, resp totally. re that uh, respond to this type of stuff. And you've yeah. just kind of gone and pushed the envelope a little bit here. And yeah. Like if my dad gets excited about it, <laughs> that's kind of like a good test. <laughs> right. He's like, oh, that's, this could uh, be fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like even like uh, Kurt Capelli, Kurt, mm. Kurt beat that record again yep. a couple months ago. Yep. And. I was really glad to see it. And you, you know, knew like, that you left stuff out on the table. Yeah. Like, not but you're saying you're not, not going I'm not back. saying purposely. Sure. I wasn't out there being like, oh, I'm going to leave five minutes here. <laughs> you know, you're like, you're still going all out. But ultimately, you finish and you say, okay, I left time here, here, here. Sure. You always um, analyze after yeah, the fact. And like, yeah. I could, you like, I could go back and do it again. Be like, oh, I could go do something else. And then ultimately, there's a guy like, like Kurt who took the record back off me. And he's the guy who should have it. You know, like he—that's his thing. That's his thing, and he's also like contributed so much more to. That's a that's a very that, gentlemanly way of thinking that, about it. Like no, but I mean, he's <laughs> he's also done a lot more for like creating roots and and like yeah. he's kind of before I did it, he was the one giving me advice. You know, like yeah. So, 
connection there, Kurt Refsnyder and I used to be cyclocross rivals back way back before he really? turned him before he revolutionized himself into this ultra distance guy. Yeah, okay. he used to live here. He was a student. but the crazy thing is like also by doing these other events, like hopefully people realize how good he is. Yeah, that what he does absolutely. Because even when I beat his record, like initially. He had it. You took it away from him. He went back and took yeah. it from you. And like comparatively, like he was closer. Like I mean, he I only beat his record. I re- beat his record comparatively by less than I built beat like uh, the Everesting record. Oh, I beat Phil Gaiman by sure. For example, sure. You know, like he's like so he's really legit. Yeah, absolutely, he is. <laughs> and it's it's yeah. it's cool to go and see people who are really good at what they do. You know, like you can go to like the Three Peaks cyclocross race in Yorkshire and just get like you dusted did, you by You came in fourth. Yeah. Right? And like a 45-year-old just smokes you, you know? <laughs> and you're like... There you go, Chris. You're not disappointed. You're just like... No, this definitely. Guy is, we've talked about this. This guy is yeah. incredible at what he does, um, which is cool to see because it's like, you know, otherwise you could walk around for like... 15 years of your career thinking you're like a god on a bike (laughs) and then like you know the reality is like you can go down to left hand canyon and ride some trails with some guys here and realize that you know absolutely nothing about riding bikes you know where do we want to end this conversation i want to ask you sort of those those um philosophical questions that maybe help people understand the lessons you've learned throughout this interesting career of yours that isn't over yet yeah. and we'll see where it, what see what turns happens. come next but i wonder you know when we spoke uh when we've spoken previously we've addressed this issue of having a good or healthy why the purpose the reason behind why you ride or why you do what you do and and that through this conversation, we've seen it go to very unhealthy places, I guess you could say, very healthy places. Um, are you aware of that at when you're in it, or is it only after the fact that you try to define a a good, so to speak, why for your? No, I think I think I'm a, I'm aware of it, um, just because I guess I've had both extremes, mm-hmm. um, and. Yeah, it's not something that you just solve the, the, the you know the the problem, and you're like, okay, I'm good forever now. Yeah, like your it's motivation wanes, yeah. like change changes wanes every day. Like there's a, there's a different um, motivation, or as long as I think it comes from that good place, and the direction is kind of you know from that good place, um, then. You can keep yourself in check in like if you sort of dip into negative territory, you know. Um and actually through the like racing the few ultras that I've done, you kind of force through that process, like because you do have these positive moments and these really negative ones and you kind of force to have your own mechanisms to sort of overcome it Mm. um and i think that sort of helped me a lot like have a lot more control over 
my emotions and 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 your why. Um, ultra ultra riding as a therapeutic device. Totally. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can't speak enough about it. I always tell everyone again, I go do one, um, or if it takes more than one, you know. But yeah, right. Do it until you find the do answer. Do it until you get to that place. Um, but yeah, I mean, I also am lucky that I have a lot of good people around me who like I listen to now. <laughs> you know um mm-hmm. because i don't think i mean i occasionally still think i can do it by myself but i can't <laughs> everyone you need you need those people around you um who know you well enough to know if you're in a good place or a bad place or if you're like why you're doing what you're doing um because like i could still go and do something that maybe is not coming from a good place um and sell it to the team and be like i need to go do this you know but if like the people around me sort of if dad's not excited about it he's your your check (laughs) you know um yeah so I, i mean i think i'm i'm more aware and i listen to the people around me more you think that that is the most important thing is having that support system to to help you navigate all these ups and downs whether you're an amateur or a pro and um yeah that along with just being like honest with yourself you know um you know occasionally there's that training session that you have to get done and like you go and you, you do it anyway um even if the motivation's <laughs> not there sure yeah. but if that if that's happening more than once every couple of weeks, like maybe you need to think about why you're doing it, <laughs> you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's that honesty and I'm sure everyone has their own or needs to find their own way to, to work that out. Um, but it should be fun. You know? <laughs> like I feel like bikes need to be like, majority of it needs to be like, like play, <laughs> you know, like you, yes. you need to have a, a fun element. Um, and I, I mean, I don't think there's, even if you look at professional cycling now, like the most successful guys, like Van der Poel, um, you know, Sagan, even like wait till Peacock once he starts going. They're right. all, they just spend half their time playing. Yeah, yeah. You know? That see? is very true that those three guys in particular, um, they're, they're in their own little world kind of dancing with the bike and enjoying themselves. Exactly. And, and they jump bit on their mountain bike. And, yeah. Like, and I think um, that way of thinking and also just that freedom within like what has been such a structured sport is what's an, what's going to and is enabling them to like really break through. Um, kind of goes back to your point too about longevity. Like yeah. You, the, the, you could be very rigid. You could put your head down and, and do all the intervals you want and be really good, but your career might be uh, half the time, or yeah. your or your your mental health or your happiness fulfillment might be a quarter of the size. Exactly, um, and that's not to say everyone. Sure, you know, I'm like I know a bunch of people who just love to do the effort, mm-hmm. see the number, and like that makes them happy, you know. And then they can go and perform, put on the you know put on the line in the race, and that's great for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not the only the only way. 
What I really like is you found your own motivation. I've seen so many athletes who have the talent, want to see what they can do in this sport. They see what it's about and go, okay, that's not motivating for me, and they quit. And you had that experience, and instead of saying, okay, I'm done and moving on, or you had that briefly, you then took a very unique approach of saying, how can I still do this but shape it in a way that it's motivating and fun for me? And yeah. created a more unique career path where you go, but this get, this gets me up every morning. This Totally. And it, it, it used to be that thing of like you'd have like those two rides every year, you know, like those two big epic rides that like, and I can still remember them from when I was a kid, like, but there was only usually two every year, mm-hmm. you know, like where like you took the wrong turn and like, or you ran out of food or like <laughs> that storm came or like whatever it was, you know, and like you'd remember those two or if you were lucky, you had like five and then the other 300 were just like, oh, they kind of all mixed together, you know? Um, and so now like I try and have as many of those rides and like each day I try and put together a ride that I'm like, that was fulfilling somehow. Um, mm-hmm. And th- I remember this for whatever reason, whether that's like, perfecting a loop that i already have um whether it's like exploring a totally new spot or like whether that means like riding three bikes in one day like that's kind of Hmm. what i'm trying to like get that's what i try to do most days get creative yeah exactly and like create rides that I, i remember um because like for me now that's still that's the most enjoyable day I can think of involves riding for most of it. <laughs> you know? Yes. Um, if not all of it. Yeah. And when once like if that becomes something different, I like to think that I'll chase whatever that is. Um but that's there's nothing else <laughs> near it for me right now. So mm-hmm. that's kind of what I'm chasing. Don't you love those rides that you come back, you try to tell your wife or your friends about it, and they just have this look of shock on their face, like, why do you do this sport? That's horrible. And you're like, no, you don't get it. That was amazing. <laughs> that was such <laughs> a good day. Totally. It's like when I come back now from, like, like Badlands or something, and it's, like, for Rachel, it's like I've just gone away again for, like, a week. And we come back and I'm kind of like, yeah, I got what I needed out of it. Like, she doesn't need to know the whole thing. But then now there's like a video that comes. Yeah, that, you, th- this, is the thing about, this is the thing about your life of half, half of it, not half of it, but some of it is documented. Yeah, so people which I'm can, super lucky to have. Um, you see it be like, whoa. Yes. Yeah, for, for those who don't yeah. know, that was a 43-hour bike ride. Yeah. Something cool. like that. Yeah. Remember that one. there's probably moments you don't remember and never will be able to access but yeah Yeah. well always a philosopher Lachlan Morton it's been a pleasure (laughs) to have you on Fast Talk today (laughs) that was another episode of Fast Talk subscribe to Fast Talk wherever you prefer to find your favorite podcast be sure to leave us a rating and a review the thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual As always, we love your feedback, so join the conversation at forums.fasttalklabs.com to discuss each and every episode. Become a member of Fast Talk Laboratories at fasttalklabs.com slash join and become a part of our education and coaching community. 
For Lachlan Morton, Rebecca Rush, Ted King, and Trevor Connor, I'm Chris Case. Thanks for listening.